Today's story is the tale of a mother, a father, their son, and severe disease. Before we start, full disclosure, I am not a parent, and I have never had a child. So while I will be narrating this story, there are emotions and experiences that I cannot fully understand and may not convey completely. But I can listen. As I listened to Marin and Dan Bywater describe the ordeal they underwent as their infant son Dylan suffered severe epileptic episodes that doctors could not fully explain and medicine could not adequately treat, I could feel the fear and vulnerability that young parents must feel as they try to do all within their power to protect that tender new life that has just entered theirs. I asked my parents what it was like to have their first child. Wonder, my dad said. They referred to an indescribable bond, pure love, that they felt for their new baby. How cruel it must feel then when illness or injury invades that intimate space and threatens to tear that child away. Marin and Dan knew that having children would change their lives forever, but they had no idea the path it would lead them on. As it turned out, it would be a journey that would make them reassess everything they thought they knew about medicine, marriage, and family. Join us as we walk it with them. This is Medicine Personalized. Everything started on a family trip to California in 2009. Marin, who was pregnant with their second child, and Dan had spent the day at the beach with Dylan, their oldest. His health was great until we went out of town to California and at about five in the morning, Dan woke up to a scream and, and then nothing. But so Dan got up to check on him and he was convulsing. So he was having a full grand mal seizure. I called um, 911 while Dan was trying to get him to come out of it. We were thinking he, wasn't he was really dying. He was really breathing. It seemed like at that point he wasn't breathing. No, and we thought now he was we dying. Now he was, but we thought he was dying. Yes, and he was lifeless. He was just laying on the bed. His eyes a blank stare. were kind of, yeah. yeah, just in shallow breathing and not moving, but not there. We had no idea what was going on. The ambulance took us to the nearest hospital and they did some tests. They did a CAT scan there. That was clear that all the blood work came back normal. And the firefighters kept just saying like, oh, this is typical of like outer towners that have been at the beach all day. She's probably a, a febrile seizure. Don't worry about it, don't worry about it. But we knew in our gut that there was something off. So they just told us to go back and enjoy the vacation. And you can't really enjoy a vacation after that, after worrying sick that this is gonna happen again, which the next few nights were sleepless, but he was okay until we drove home and we got about two hours out of LA and he had another one in the car seat and that one he turned purple. Like it was the most helpless, panicky feeling and sitting on the side of the road in the middle of the desert. After the second seizure, dread started to set in. So we pulled over, we pulled him out of the car seat to maybe give him rescue breaths. We really didn't know what to do. We called 911 again. We're somewhere on the highway, an hour or two out of LA. We don't know where we are. They took us to the nearest hospital again, did more blood tests. Everything was normal. And after the second one, we just had this feeling of like our lives are changing. 
you know, you know that that kind of that dark feeling over you where you just know you're about to go through some heavy stuff. We both felt that. When Dan and Marin got back to Utah, they took Dylan straight to the hospital for more tests. MRIs and EEGs came back normal, and the neurologist suggested that he might have benign Rolandic epilepsy, a form of epilepsy that most kids grow out of. But the seizures continued, and they became more frequent. Dylan's doctors decided to start him on medication. Now, it probably goes without saying that seizures are complicated. While it is well understood what a seizure is, a sudden and erratic electrical disturbance in brain cells, the causes behind them are numerous. Some seizures require medicine while others resolve on their own. Like so much in medicine, treatment is often a process of trial and error. And so it was for Dylan. They told us at the beginning of all this that the first medication for seizures is a 50-50 chance of working. Second medication, 50-50 chance. Third medication, 20% chance. Anything after that is a 1% chance. Dylan was started on Keppra, an anticonvulsant drug, just a few weeks after his first seizure. So we started on the, the first dosage, and he was off the walls. Oh, it was crazy. Crazy. He wasn't sleeping. It was four in the morning. He was bouncing on the bed. We were told he'd be irritable and tired. And he was seeing things in the dark. I mean, it was... Oh, he started seeing, like... Uh, floating whales and, and yes yeah, and was crazy. he couldn't sit still for life of him like all of a sudden we went from this kid that could pay attention and sit to he couldn't even sit still and who knows if it was the seizures or is it the Kepra but the seizures continued and Dylan's dosage of Kepra was increased the thing with epilepsy we kept being told or seizures in particular is that the brain starts liking the feeling of them and so there's a real-time crunch and pressure to get it to stop, stop, to get the right medication and get them stopped before the brain starts kind of liking that feeling and sensation. This is a phenomenon neurologists refer to as kindling. The idea is that the electrical activity of some seizures can prime the brain, making it more likely for subsequent seizures to occur. Just like small twigs and newspaper kindle the first sparks of a fire. While kindling does not explain all forms of epilepsy, Dylan's doctors felt that blocking these signals in the brain was important for his recovery. Their goal was to keep Dylan's seizures under five minutes and to avoid him having more than one a day, a phenomenon called clustering. And that's what happened to our son. They would never last more than five minutes, but if he was gonna have one, he was gonna have one more frequently throughout the day. It wasn't just the seizures that were getting worse. There's a period after the seizure that is called the post-ictal phase, and Dylan's were beginning to last nearly an hour. He would grind his teeth, cry, and thrash, and there was nothing Dan or Marin could do to help him during this time. Nothing in my power. I have no money in the world. I have no possessions. I have no medicine. I have nothing I can give you in this moment to stop this from happening. I just have to watch. When you have a child, it's, it's like having a piece of your heart outside of your body for the rest of your life, and then seeing that piece of your heart being strangled every day and hurt and beat up and tortured. That just, that changes you. And at the beginning, we still had a lot of hope that we would get this <laughs> under control. But every time we have another one, it was like a little bit of a drop of hope lost. 
and he was already maxed out on Keppra at that time. Like adult dosage. Yes, Keppra. adult, and it, it we couldn't really see it super beneficial at that point, but we were still on it. Is what we were following neurolog, you know, the neurologist, and he had another one, and then all of a sudden they kind of morphed a little bit. So he had another grandma, but within like an hour. He was walking and he said, my stomach doesn't feel good. And he fell. And we're like, what? And not just fell, like tripped. Like it was almost like you turned his body off and he just collapsed. Like a puppet. Like you just dropped a puppet. Like you took a puppet and just dropped it and its holy body just collapsed. And we had no idea what that that was. was. Exactly. And, And then he had 13 grand malls that day. These drop seizures, as they're called, made simple things like moving around the house dangerous. Dylan was started on a second medication, Depakote, seven weeks after his first seizure. So we started kind of raising him on the couch to try to keep him safe. We had a piece of tile that he did have a drop seizure on and fell. One time he had a drop seizure on our kitchen table and he hit his face so hard on the table he got a black eye and they wanted us to start wearing a helmet. and. I mean, in a matter of two months, from August 18th to the middle of October, it was like a different child. It was like, what just happened in two months? Yeah. Just the bags under his eyes and the so tired and... I mean, drooling, not able to feed himself. So tired and just not really wanting to do a two and a half year old play. And normal two-year-olds are wanting to run around and play and he just wanted to watch TV all the time and we would keep him on the couch or if he wanted to get off, we were like following him around to try to like catch him if he fell. It's disruptive. I mean, it, it really so turns your life upside down because it's not only the fear, and the, you can't, you don't sleep. We didn't sleep those two months because you're... So that was you, his pattern. You, you learn to, yeah, because he would always have a grand. If he was gonna have a grandma, it was around four or five o'clock in the morning when yeah. he was starting to go through that and phase. Hear it of waking through the up. monitor, because you could hear as you're having a seizure, your body pushes out the air. Yeah. So it was a go. It would like a guttural, <laughs> and then it would do that. And so you immediately wake up, you run. Oh, I mean, she's. I eight we're both pregnant. running to the to the room, and she's eight months pregnant, and right. and then you end up. One of us would end up sleeping next to him for the next few hours. Trying um, to get him trying, back to sleep. But you don't sleep. You just watch him. And, and then cry that you have to the pattern starting. And, and then what? the rest of that morning, you're following him, making sure he's not going to be doing the drop seizures. As Dylan's seizures wore on, Marin's second pregnancy came closer and closer to term. At about 31, 32 weeks, which is about then, I started having serious, serious contractions. And I had to... We were up at my mom's house and I was like laying on the couch, just like, my mom's like, you've got to calm down. And I'm like, my son, my son is like fading away. And I don't, I can't handle that and a newborn at the same time. Like, this is too hard. It's too hard to watch. And I mean, you go through some dark, dark thoughts. I mean, there's times where we were even talking, like, I I hope he's a stillborn. I hope he doesn't come. Like, because we felt like we could not handle it. So the worst part of the journey came about two weeks later. It was Halloween day and we were all excited to go trick-or-treating that night, but he woke up having a grandma and we knew the day was going to be a different day for us. Dylan had three seizures that morning and Marin called the doctors to find out what to do next. 
she wasn't familiar with our case and she raised his Depakote too high too fast. And we gave him the new dosage that she suggested. And within three days, something was just wrong. He just kind of had a tick like every five seconds and his eyes would roll back. Each time they called the doctor, they were told to give Dylan more medication. When Dylan was admitted to the hospital a few days later, he was barely recognizable. To this day, Marin regrets waiting to take him in. I think what was really happening now is that he was having a status seizure, which is when they're having a seizure Constant. constantly, and you need to be admitted to get it to stop. It doesn't stop on its own. And that's when it starts doing brain damage, and that's when it starts doing heart damage. And we lost our little boy during that time, and it was horrible. He lost how to talk, he lost how to walk, he lost how to feed himself, he lost basically everything. He was like a, maybe a 14, 15 month old, babbling, drooling, trying to walk, but not really. Dylan's prognosis was dim. Some of his doctors thought he would never recover from the brain damage the seizures had wrought. Even one said that he would remain as an 18-month-old for the rest of his life. But one doctor gave them hope, emphasizing that the brain is plastic and it can heal. Physicians started Dylan on a third medication, which was predicted to have a 20% chance of success. It was like this necessary evil that we were going through. What We would give it to him, and by 9 in the morning, he would say, nap, nap, and he would just be drooling, and he all he, all he wanted to do was take a nap. And we would just sit there and watch him, and we're like, this can't be better for him. Yeah. Like this medicine that he can't talk, he can't walk, he can't be a functioning, almost three-year-old little boy, but it's stopping the seizures. What do we do? It was horrible because he had the worst bags on his eyes. His cheeks were puffy. He lost about 10 pounds on it. And because it's an adult migraine medicine and a lot of people lose weight on it. Same with Depakote, it's a, a you know, bipolar medicine. and. He's on these adult dosages at three years old. The demands of caring for a child with a debilitating health condition were already consuming every moment of Marin and Dan's lives. But what made the isolation more bitter was that in their darkest moments, when they most needed help, their circle of support was dwindling smaller and smaller. It was it's lonely. Bad. It's really lonely. It so a lot lonely. of friends you think would still stick around don't. Even siblings. Siblings you don't. thought they would have your back and be there to help and you know, I'll watch your kid through the night while you have a break. Socially, it's really interesting to see and look back and think about it. Because um, there's, there's some people where you would never think they would come out of the woodwork to help, but they do. Yeah. But they, others where yeah. you think they would, didn't. As for Dylan's mounting medical bills, well, Dan had just lost his job. Optimism, grit, intrepid parenting, call it what you will. Marin and Dan did their best to adapt so that they could continue caring for Dylan. Well, and Dan lost his job during the time, which became a blessing because then he got severance and was home during the worst part of it. Mm -hmm. But in the middle, it was like, <laughs> we're 40000 in debt because our insurance didn't pay for the ambulance rides. We had five ambulance rides. I mean, we just... Everything just went on credit cards because we were just trying to give him the care that he needed. The new medications did help. Although Dylan continued to have seizures, they no longer came in clusters. Unfortunately, they had other effects on his body. 
He broke six bones because of its effects on his bone marrow and balance. Meanwhile, doctors were pushing Dan and Marin to choose a fourth medication to try and end the seizures once and for all. We maxed out on Topamax. That was December of 2009, so we were in it four months. And the baby was coming, he came home New Year's Eve, and a couple weeks early, and it was just chaos, but we had maxed out that third medication. So they were telling us, you can try a trial one that's supposed to be good for some seizures. A fourth one, and they're like, it's a 1% chance. So you can decide what you want to do, but you, they haven't stopped. You knew they were just kind of dartboarding this thing. And we understood why. It's just it, the brain's very difficult to understand, and we barely have scratched the surface on it, understanding of it. And so, but that's a helpless feeling knowing that you don't know what's happening or how to fix it, and you know the doctor across the way that's been doing this for 30 years doesn't know either. The Bywaters had put their confidence in the drugs and doctors of conventional medicine, and repeatedly, they had been let down. It was scary because we had put a lot of faith in the, this process of I pay you, the professional, to tell me what's wrong and give me the medicine and it fixes it. And that no longer was there. And it became January and the doctors were putting a lot of pressure on us to start either a fourth medicine or the ketogenic diet. And we felt rotten about those. It was just, I couldn't. Never felt good about it. And so, and every time we think about it and our soul would think about it, it just felt like to wait. And that month of January was probably the darkest of both of our lives because we have this little boy that's seizing. All these treatments aren't working. We don't want to start a fourth medicine that doesn't feel good, but we feel in our soul to wait. What are we waiting for? These aren't stopping. If anything, prolonging treatment is just going to make his brain want him more. And we didn't know what to do. We really didn't know what to do. And finally, we just Hail Mary passed in February. So exactly six months from the start of this, we went to this naturopath that works with kids with brain gut connection issues. Dan and Marin decided to strike out on their own and pursue a novel form of treatment. Put yourselves in their shoes. You have endured months of terrifying epileptic episodes, paid thousands of dollars for costly treatments, and your infant son continues to seize. You feel frustrated and desperate, grasping for anything you can hold on to that might keep you and your son afloat in the midst of this medical morass. It was at this time that Marin and Dan took a risk and sought the services of a naturopath whom they paid out of pocket to run tests on Dylan. Going to a naturopath was very out of our comfort zone because neither of us were raised that way. We didn't know what we were doing and he's like, I want to do all this blood work and it was $1,900 and it was like, okay, okay, we'll do all these blood tests, we'll do a urine test, we'll do the output test, we'll do the stool sample test, but then his results, whatever he was looking at, came back that he was very, very, very like severely deficient in carnitine. And I showed my pediatrician, she's like, I've seen kids hospitalized at this deficiency. And we found out later that Depakote uses carnitine to metabolize itself. And they used to in the 90s, especially with kids that were on Depakote for seizures, put them with carnitine. And then evidence kind of got lacking. And so primaries got away from that practice. So we got him on carnitine. We got him on a like um, a multivitamin with just high, high levels of magnesium, selenium, B6, and 
uh, you know, D vitamins and stuff that are just really high and high levels of fish oil. And we were like, it was like 400 a month for these supplements too. And the insurance doesn't pay for any of those. They're all supplements. They're not FDA approved. But we started them and he went one month without having a seizure. And that was the longest, the longest before that was 11 days that he had ever gone without a seizure. And it was like, oh my gosh. So I called the neurologist and he's like, well, it's a little anecdotal or maybe he's growing out of it. And so let's just see what happens. But keep doing it. He was supportive. He says, keep trying it. Yeah. And he was like, I always kind of like to learn new things. And fish oil is probably always good for the brain. And, you know, carnitine, we we're kind of talking about some of these things and taurine. But still um, a little dismissive, totally. which to this day. It's frustrating. When you get to that point where you've used all these medicines as a doctor, you've done everything you can. It's like, why not try these little hell, what we call them hell marys. Why, why not give it a shot? Why is it so bad to... Take your discipline and say, okay, it's not working. It's time to try something different that we don't necessarily believe or we don't have enough evidence on. It's a little See anecdotal, but there are some stories out there where it did work. Why, why, why can't this doctor just be okay with that? In addition to the supplements, the naturopath wanted to start weaning Dylan off his medication, starting with the Topamax. And we were like, well, wait, like, that, that's just got him like to stop the clustering. At that point, mm-hmm. we had been on it four months almost, and it was finally stopping. These seizures were slowing, and he was like, nope, we are going to start weaning you down as we start putting these other things up. Marin and Dan were skeptical, but Dylan only suffered one more seizure after starting the supplements and decreasing his doses of the medication. And even then, it wasn't a cluster seizure. More and more time passed until he had been nearly two months seizure-free. But in that two months time, he got um, strep for the fourth time. Doctors decided he needed to have his tonsils removed. And so the ENT is like, you got to get off all of the supplements. You can stay on the seizure meds, but you have to get off all the supplements because they could make him bleed out. And so we stopped cold turkey because we were just like, I don't know, We I guess we just didn't know better. No, yeah, the doctor said to do it and we did it. We yeah. did it a week before and the seizures came back worse than ever. He was having a drop seizure a every storm. 15 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, would get the seizure to stop that day. And then they all started again the next day. And he would seize all day long. And it was worse than ever. And we still hadn't even gotten his tonsils out yet. So we got his tonsils out in June of 2010. And we couldn't get back on those supplements for, I don't know, two or three weeks after. And we got on... We couldn't Those, get back on them fast enough. We get back on and the, nothing happened. The Didn't seizures were still horrible. And we lost a lot of hope. That was really, really bad right then. We That fear and all that hopelessness that we had the finally only hope regained we had hope. had that whole year was not, now not working. Dan and Marin returned to the naturopath, who told them to increase the doses of everything immediately. He told them that they also needed to get rid of their dogs and all other possible allergens in the house. And we had had them tested for allergies before, but nothing came up. And so we were like, what? Allergies? There's no way. Get rid of our dogs? We'd had them for seven years at that point. So we were like, okay, let's just do it on a prayer, on a whim. And so we raised his the all of those. We got rid of our dogs. We did everything he said. And the seizures 
started to slow again and he had his last seizure that October. So, you know, they stopped after about 14 months and then we were kind of on eggshells for the next six months when we had our big celebration that started our marriage falling apart. It was interesting because we were on the same team up that whole time and survival mode. And then it was like we were battling was, together together a common goal a common foe to and, fight together and our emotions were aside like even though we would sit and cry together we'd go on these long drives and he would have had a seizure in the back and was completely you know postictal asleep and we would just cry together and listen to music and want, wonder if we should drive off a cliff together because things were just so hard but then we would laugh and we would try to figure this out and then once he started getting better it was like oh wait a minute like you and this and nitpicky and criticism and the contempt got in there and just the anger of what we had just been through and the PTSD and we got we lost that commonality that thing to fight for together that was gone now the battle was over or won and we yeah. got off track yeah, and, way off track and luckily yeah. we didn't let it go too long I knew I couldn't fix us even though I was a trained therapist I knew I I didn't have the tools to help us. Dan and Marin found a therapist. They were told they needed to start taking more time for each other, all while processing everything they had been through. I think it's not necessarily like how, like who you go to. It's just not letting the negativity kind of creep in and then that becomes your marriage. And then all of a sudden your marriage is not your marriage anymore. And then you want help. It's like you hopefully as you go through this and I think anybody with a special needs child you know a severe life crisis should go into counseling pretty soon if you recognize that you are getting off track of what you really feel on the focus too I think the focus just started shifting again away from Dylan back to each other yeah because we we've always been really like excellent communicators we are able to shift that back to each other and get back and get back to that we did some grief work too just processing some of the feelings of our son you know like he would say we thought he was gonna die you could ask dylan right now and he could communicate effectively with you and you told him that you were grieving what he went through and that your marriage is falling apart because of him what do you think dylan would say that was huge for us. And I'd say Dylan would be shocked. He would sad. be sad. He wouldn't like, want that. He wouldn't want that, would he? And he wouldn't want that at so all. So I kind of shifted that focus, shifted that thinking of like, what are we doing? Yeah. You know? I had to go through a phase two of looking at Dylan as my son again instead of my patient. patient. Yeah. And my patient to kind of correct and to cure and the next thing to fix of him it's like okay now you say you're else but let's do this next thing and you know and it's like we had to kind of step back in the the patient role to i just love you unconditionally i just want you to be happy and we've been so much happier as a family once we kind of shifted back to he's our child no matter what but dylan wasn't their only child remember that other child Marin was pregnant with right after dylan's seizures began That was their second son, Logan. Born into the hurricane that was Dylan's severe and complicated epilepsy, Logan was often forgotten, mostly because he was well and his brother was not. With the help of therapy, his parents processed what it was like to bring him into the world at such a stressful time. 
I do feel like my attachment with Logan was really difficult Mm -hmm. because I think whether he knew it or not in utero and I, I didn't, it got to the point where I didn't want him. Even though we planned him, once Dylan started seizing, it was like, oh my gosh. And I think the stress and trying to catch all those seizures, are you kidding me? Like nine months pregnant and, you know, like try it. He felt it in all of those mornings where we'd hear the running to Dylan's room, nine months pregnant. And he felt all of that stress. He came into this world with some anxious, scared parents battling over here. And he was just an afterthought. And I think he felt that and grew up a little bit that way. And And he's even to this day is an anxious kid. He's the most anxious kid of any of our kids. Quickest to cry. I really do believe he developed something of that character in the womb. Even after the seizures have ended, Dylan still needs a lot of help. To assist him with school, he got a special learning aide who created an individualized learning plan with 26 developmental learning goals tailored just for him. As of this recording, it has been almost eight years since Dylan's last seizure. And he's about to start the sixth grade and he's achieved 25 of those original 26 goals. What's interesting though, is when we first started the process of setting the goals, all we cared about was that he could just play and have a social interaction with other kids. We didn't care about the math. We didn't care about the reading so much. We wanted that stuff to come eventually, but man, we really just wanted him to have a normal childhood and be able to have friends and and Mm -hmm. laugh and play and and talk with other kids. And just for me, that's the essence of being a child, like just to be able to have friends and play and to see the world around them and interact with others. Like if you can't have that, then the academics, like why, why is it, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, that's, that's being a human. After Dylan's seizures resolved, Marin was selected to take part in the medical home program at the hospital, where she gives regular feedback on improving patient care. She talks with doctors about being more open to alternative treatments when traditional treatments prove unsuccessful. She's pushed to decrease callback times on the nurse hotline and help develop clear guidelines so that parents know when to call the doctor or to visit the hospital. Today's podcast was written and narrated by John Peterson and produced by Elaine Taylor. Music by Anna von Skotorst, Sola Flair, Bruce Lee, Nest, Lola de la Mata, and Chad Crouch.